Jesus Christ is our gift of love and grace and mercy and happiness, but He is also the testimony of God's wrath because Jesus had to die on the cross for you and for me. We cannot be glib about our sin. You must understand the weight of it. Israel serves as one of the greatest metaphors to not dealing with sin. They kept falling and their hearts were constantly being pulled away from God. It's a reminder to us that sin must be dealt with and it must be dealt with effectively. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we continue our study looking at Psalm 83 and this imprecatory prayer that teaches us how to see sin even in our prayer life. Look to the cross as Jesus gives us the perfect example of understanding how sin is ultimately dealt with. But first, we're joined once again by Mark Jones and his wonderful book written called Knowing Sin. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. This week, we're looking at the subject of sin as we break down our various doctrines over the course of this year. This month, looking at this serious subject of how we see sin from God's perspective, therein lies the challenge because we often only see sin through our own perspective. And that allows us to think more highly of ourselves and be comfortable with the way that we are sinning while also looking down our nose at those who are sinning differently than us. Uh, This is a serious problem and one that must be addressed, and that's why Mark Jones' book, Knowing Sin, is so important. It's it's a great book. The subtitle is Seeing a Neglected Doctrine to the Eyes of the Puritans. So, Mark, oftentimes when we're approaching the subject of sin, it either makes us uncomfortable because it's touching on a subject that is very deep in our heart, or it makes us feel pretty proud that we're looking at other people and considering how they need to change. So, how does your book frame the subject in such a way that helps us to see ourselves in the mirror and understand that we need to change and be transformed? into the image of Christ. There's a few things I think in the book you'll you'll hopefully be uh, illuminated by in terms of like uh, the idea that the seed of every sin is in our heart because we have a sinful nature um, in terms of the natural man. So there's no sin that we can't commit left to ourselves with the right context and so on. Uh, that helps us. The other thing that helps us is is not just Um, that idea, but also recognizing that the greatest sin against me by any human being is still less than my smallest sin against God, and God forgives me. And, you know, that's something the Puritans taught me, uh, how to understand sin. So, if, if you keep that in mind, your smallest sin against God is more evil than the greatest sin against you, you should be able to forgive people because God forgives us. Uh, D.A. Carson talks about that quite a bit, yeah, the the issue of that uh, God is always the most offended party, and I'm, sh- I'm sure he's probably quoting somebody else, maybe even a Puritan, yeah. when yeah. he says that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that is really the case, and that's one of those areas that we have not adequately understood sin. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good, good point. I'm sure he was, yeah, I'm sure it's been said many times before, but definitely the Puritan said it, I know that. Well, I think uh, David was one of them who said it in, in Psalm 51. Right, yeah, yeah, he might be the original, original source. Mm. But that's ultimately the true case, and that has to be, you know, really dealt with in our own lives. I think that's the idea in, in Matthew 7, uh, dealing with that beam in our own eye, realizing how much we've offended God. 
that makes things very different in how we see our neighbor, and it also helps us to help them. If we really care about our neighbor and we want them to stop sinning, we it it's we have to first look inwardly. Yeah, yeah, and sin sin is miserable. It doesn't it doesn't help you. It it harms you. It, mm. it and so uh, to the degree that we're able to help people in terms of their sin through the gospel, we're really helping people. And you know, for all the for all the talk of how we can love our neighbor, there's no greater love you can show to your neighbor than giving them the gospel as a solution to not just their eternal life, but even their life on earth as being free from the consequences of sin, which are real for, for, for everyone. Yeah, isn't that Jesus uh, teaching in, in Matthew 18, right? That, that we as a church are to be called a, a, this called out community to actually help people to, to not sin and to, to not tie millstones around people's necks and, and, and encourage sin. And, you know, th- I mean, throughout the epistles, how much sin was a problem in the church that wasn't being dealt with in the church in Corinth. Uh, now, those were all different times. We don't have any of those problems today, do we? No, yeah, yeah. Well, as, as I think I say in the book as well, that, you know, the more, the, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And there's nothing new under the sun and so on and so forth. That's the one great weapon we have as Christians is we have a message that is actually relevant to all people at all times, all ages, all socioeconomic classes. Like there's nothing that you can, there's no one you can go to this world and say, yeah, I don't know what I could say to you. Um, that's the glory of the gospel based upon universal sin. Now you talk about, um, you know, things that we probably don't consider much when we're addressing sin. You talk about the de- deceitful ways of the devil and sins of omission, um, uh, the different than sins of commission. We have to have a little more of a broader understanding of sin than just the kind of cookie cutter way that we've approached it in the past, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, omission is, is, is good. It comes from the idea of privation, which is sin is uh, in terms of privation it's not just the you know inordinate lusts of the flesh and the, the the way in which we hate god but it's also the lack of a positive quality of righteousness and so that's why you'll find paul in like a place such as ephesians 4 we'll just talk about like what you put off is the sin but then you've got to put on something in place of that and that's righteousness and so the person who steals is to no longer steal but work so they may have something to share with those in need so christian ethics is never just negative it's never just your sins are forgiven there's a positive righteousness or you you mustn't do this but you should do something in place of that it's there's no neutral ground so that's something i think we need to do a better job of in preaching and our christian living We've been talking with Mark Jones about his book called Knowing Sin, Seeing a Neglected Doctrine Through the Eyes of the Puritans. A great resource, one that is so great, we want to make it available to you as a thank you for your support to the Songtime Ministry. Really, this broadcast is only made possible because of our listeners. 
for your support is uh, the only way that we can keep the bills uh, paid and to keep on the air. So if you've been blessed, consider being a blessing in return and get a copy of a great book that will further that blessing in your life. Get a copy of Mark Jones' book, Knowing Sin, when you write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508 362 7070. That's 508-362-7070. Well, today we're continuing our study in Psalm 83 with one of my sermons breaking down this this great psalm, an imprecatory prayer. I'll be honest, it's not one that we typically cover. It's not one that we typically delve into, but that's all the more reason why we needed to study this psalm. As I was breaking down all of the various psalms in book three that I wanted to cover, I knew that it was going to be Psalm 83. We could also look at Psalm 79. There's a little bit of imprecation in that as well. And yet we really need to delve into these subjects because we need to start seeing sin as God sees sin. In fact, Jesus teaches us how to read the imprecatory prayers. We don't have to avoid them. We don't have to be uncomfortable with them. In fact, if we understand who Jesus is and seeking conformity into his image, he can actually show us and guide us in how to read these psalms. So in this continuation of my sermon on Psalm 83, we'll look into how to read and be comforted by the psalms of, of imprecatory prayers. Here is my sermon on Psalm 83. The key to understanding this psalm is that they are God's enemies. That they have sinned against God before they ever sinned against us. To have an understanding of how to see our sin and to see our anger biblically, we must first see the proper delineation of who has been harmed, who has been affected, who has been most offended. It's God. So he's praying that God and his witness and his testimony would be known to the people. He's praying for God's victory. Why? We continue to read. Here are the harsh words that uh, we try to avoid, but they're here for us in an important way. Verse 13, O oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes, consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze. So may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. How do we read these? Are these really something that we can pray? And if so, how can we pray these words? Well, Jesus actually teaches us how to pray imprecatory prayers. He does it when he teaches us to pray in the New Testament. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, he teaches us how to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he goes on to offer a little bit of commentary specifically on that one line because it's really important that we don't just pass over it. He says, because if you don't forgive your enemies their trespasses, your heavenly Father won't forgive you your trespasses. Okay, so then how can we read these words of judgment and imprecate our enemies if by doing so we're only going to bring judgment on ourselves? Well, Jesus goes on in chapter 7, Judge not, lest ye be judged. First, he says, take the beam out of your own eye. Why? Because then you'll see clearly how to help your neighbor 
with the speck in their eye. What Jesus is doing is teaching us that this first applies to you and to me. This work that we have to do in imprecating first must be applied to our own wounds, our own troubles, our, our own struggles. Why we should pray this way even for ourselves? And I would tell you, yes, absolutely. We should pray the same way against our own sins because the problem, the reason we still struggle with sin in our life is because we don't take it seriously enough. Sure, we've trimmed it down, we've trimmed the hedges down all the way to the stump, but every once in a while that shoot keeps popping back up. You should see my yard. I've got this huge tree that we cut down, and no matter how hard I try, I see shoots of that tree popping up all over the yard. It doesn't matter that we've cut down the, the, the roots, we've got the stump out of the ground, there's still remnants of it, and it's still popping up everywhere. Because that is the nature of sin. Our struggle, our effort to fight sin is simply to make it so that we look good and that our appearances are good for other people, but we don't take it seriously enough to read and pray these prayers against our own sin. To actually take the beam out of our own eye. To actually wrestle with it and to spend time with the understanding that our sin offends God. So much so that we are the enemies of God because of our sin. Brother and sister, let me explain this to you. Your sin had to be punished. Jesus Christ is our gift of love and grace and mercy and happiness, but He is also the testimony of God's wrath because Jesus had to die on the cross for you and for me. He had to bear the punishment for our sins. This was not a light thing for Jesus to do. It was not a simple task for Him to get through. Jesus bore the wrath of God and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced this rejection. He experienced this whirlwind, this hurricane of God's wrath. We cannot be glib about our sin. We must understand it. You must understand the weight of it. This is not a casual thing. Israel's problem, Israel serves as one of the greatest metaphors to not dealing with sin. By not eliminating and eradicating and, and disposing all of the people of the land, what happened to Israel time after time after time? Is they kept falling into sin. They kept falling and their hearts were constantly being pulled away from God. It's a reminder to us that sin must be dealt with. And it must be dealt with effectively. It says, so that so you may pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. As I was thinking through this sermon on Psalm 83, I had this kind of resounding question. Are you comforted by hell? 
That sounds rather strange, but so do imprecatory prayers, don't they? Do you find any comfort that there is a hell, that there is a place where people will be punished for eternity? The truth is, we're afraid of it. I remember even thinking about this when I was a little boy, wondering why God would create a place called hell, why God would send anyone there, especially my my good neighbor, this elderly man that I used to go over and watch Bonanza with uh, on weekdays um, while my sisters were in school. Uh, he wasn't a Christian, and I could not understand why God would be angry at this man that didn't seem, at least to me, to do anything wrong. He was my buddy. Uh, we used to watch TV together. But there's something there that's really important for us to understand, that we're not the ones who decide ultimately. We're not the ultimate judges. We have to submit to God, and ultimately, God is the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. The reason we're not comforted by hell is because we don't believe that the people that we know and love should be condemned to eternal punishment. But we should be comforted by hell, especially when we understand the severity of evil. Think of the most evil people that have existed in our world. Do you want them uh, to go on without any consequences for their actions? The reality is we want a judicious system. We want a, a judge who is fair and righteous and good, but we are also fearful of what that means because the truth is we all fall short of the glory of God. There's not much comfort for us in hell, but there should be the realization that God who is holy does not tolerate sin and he does not allow for any corruption to his character and his place of glory in heaven. That is separated from all sin and all evil. And if we believe in heaven, we must believe that there is a place for all of those who have rejected the good and the love that God has provided. It's hard. It's not easy. But it is something that we must explore as we continue to look at the hard portions of Scripture, the, the dark passages that remind us of how terrible sin is, but how holy God is and why there needs to be a punishment, a consequence for sin. Jesus is really the best example of how serious sin is because he is the one who ultimately bore the entire weight of all of our sin. He bore the wrath of God. He bore hell upon himself for you and for me. That's the only way that we can be forgiven. And as that great theological word that I love to share, he became the propitiation. The Psalms like to say that he drank the full cup. He drank all of it, all of God's wrath. He satisfied the wrath of God so that you and I can be saved. If you have been blessed and understand the, the power of the gospel, can I encourage you to be a blessing to us in return? Help us to be propitious. Help us to be satisfied in the work that we're doing and send your donation to the Prime Rib Sandwich, the Prime Rib Sandwich Fund, which is the way that I will be propitious later today. Help support uh, all the work that we're doing here by sending in your donation to Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll wrap up our study this week looking at this imprecatory psalm as we discover ultimately that this is something that has to be applied internally before we can apply it to the rest of the world. This imprecatory prayer should actually transform us. If for no other reason 
We ought to be proclaiming our faith because God is worthy. So when we see the wickedness around us, it should break our hearts. Christ died for those sins. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. <laughs>